0: every sort of piece of media you consume tells you that the power lies with the man in making the decision whether to be exclusive or not. And actually I think it's true that the fact that I was always clear that mm-hmm. I wasn't going to be exclusive with anybody almost until I knew that I was in love with them, which is a really strange way of dating to be honest. Like, I, I wouldn't advise that <laughs> to other people, right? Like don't, don't not be exclusive with somebody you really like until you're sure you're in love with them. It's not really a strategy for success.
1: Hello. I'm so excited to have you back for another episode of Interstates and Heartbreak. So today's episode, I would say, has been a long time in the making because... We are recording with one of my best friends, we talk about dating all the time, and yet somehow it took like me being seven months into this podcast almost for us to finally decide to record together and align on what we wanted to talk about. And so I'm really excited to introduce my friend, Nano, or Nandini, and we are friends from college, and we're going to dive all into our experiences in college that brought us together, our experiences dating, and how we have mostly matured since then.
0: Mostly mature being the keyword. <laughs> Hi, I'm so excited to be here.
1: Yes, so excited to have you. So I feel like I have to go into a little bit of backstory of why I called you Nano. And it has to do with how we met. So we met at UCLA. And we both did this like cultish camp called Unicamp. And honestly. I say cultish because it was one of those organizations where people join and it's like your whole life and you eat, live, and breathe at this camp. We were camp counselors for a summer with underprivileged youth who were in high school. So it was a great experience. It was really cool. But one interesting cult-like quality of the camp was the fact that when you sign up on your application, they ask you, what is your camp name? And I, being an idiot, and also I was a freshman, so I didn't really know that much about the organization yet. I thought that was to judge your creativity. So I put down something really stupid and ironic, and my camp name was Drowning Cod, not knowing that that is what everybody would have to call me, not only that like campers, but actually the fellow counselors. So Nandini had a much better camp name and hers was Nano, which makes sense because it goes with her name. But that's how I knew her. That's how she was saved in my phone for literally years. And so that is the backstory of that introduction.
0: I mean, to be fair, you're still saved as Leslie DC Grant in my phone. And to this day, when I look up your number to text you, I almost always type DC before I type Leslie. So I feel like that's one piece of nostalgia that's going to get carried with us throughout our friendship. I didn't even think it was a bad camp name. I thought it was funny. I was like, I should be friends with this person. But I mean, to be fair, that's not what I thought we should be friends. I thought we should be friends because we were both doing the same um, irregular activity. It Irre- I mean, I don't yes. know what to call it, and that makes it sound so much worse. It than sounds it's- really
1: weird, but no, you're so right. So I have to just say, like, as I was kind of thinking back to our time in college, I was like, Nance is one of the only friends who I've met and where it's been like, okay, we're just natural friends from the get-go. I feel like we just bonded on a deeper level than I do with most friends right away, and To your point, I think we have to kind of give some explanation to what those regular activities were. And I don't remember the order of these, but one thing I remember was we had this camp retreat and it was at the UCLA campus. And the whole idea was supposed to be that you don't leave at all. You only like eat the snacks that they had for you. And like both of us really value food and we value caffeine. Like those are two of the things that I think we plan a lot of our day and life around. And so... I was also just like, I'm so tired. Like, there is no way I'm not going to have coffee all weekend because I don't think they provided any coffee, right? That was the thing.
0: There was either no coffee or, you know, it was the not great brewed black coffee. And I mean, that's just not going to cut it if we're spending 48 hours in a field with the same people.
1: (laughs) In a field. And so I remember I snuck off at one point to go to the cafe that wasn't even that far away. So it wasn't that crazy. But it's like, you're not supposed to leave. But I was like, fuck it, I need to get some coffee. And I look across the cafe and who do I see? And we're both like, you're not supposed to be here. I mean I just
0: like to point out that we were what in our like 1819 and this was probably mm-hmm. the most rebellious activity that we could think <laughs> of doing I, like must get real caffeine asap.
1: And I have to say it sounds like okay what's the big deal but that's like how culty it was is that it's like no you don't leave for any reason whatsoever you know so it was like even the fact that we considered it I feel like was really rebellious by the standards of this club. And then the second thing I remember was we were at a party also for Unicamp. I just remember it was really awkward. And everyone was just in the living room. No one was drinking. I must have just started. But we're all just standing around. And then there's like one or two couches and no one was sitting on them. And we both just looked at each other and we're like, should we go sit down? Like, is there a rule against sitting on these couches? And It Again, it doesn't really do it justice to tell it over the podcast, but the whole scenario was just so weird. And I think it was in that moment that we were both like, are we the only two sane people in this situation?
0: Like for you and I to talk about it, it sounds so normal. <laughs> like, oh you went to get yeah. coffee and you sat on a couch, but that's really not what happened. <laughs> like within I know. the context of Unicamp, it's like, how dare you leave the retreat to get caffeine? It's yeah. like, whoa, are you even a good culture fit? Like that's that's a real thing. Right. And it's like Oh, um, I guess God. a unicamp thing is you don't sit on a couch at a party. And this was like back in the days when we used yes. to wear four-inch heels at UCLA. and you a house
1: party. <laughs> so I was like, if I'm inside, there's hell no way I'm going to be tiring my feet out even more. What the hell? Oh, yeah. So for sure, yeah. I think it's both of these.
0: Amongst, like, obviously all the things that we've experienced together over the past 10 years, for sure, I think. Mm-hmm. our Our friendship has been... Well, first of all, I'm not good at making friends. And this was, like, one of the oh. few times where right off the bat, it was like we were meant to be friends. I know that sounds super corny, mm. but, like, there has never been a point in our friendship where it has not felt that way. And we haven't lived in the same city now for, like, I don't know, eight years? A long too time. a uh, Too long. Eight years? Too long.
1: Wow, yeah. you're right. Yeah, I couldn't honestly agree with that statement more. Um, and I think kind of diving into one of the life experiences that brought us together. Correct me if I'm wrong and to clarify like I met you during your second year of college so granted I don't really know much about your freshman year but I feel like both of us for the time that we were friends during college like we were both single for that entire time right? We were.
0: We were. I was single for all four and a half years of UCLA.
1: hmm and I feel like that was I guess, maybe less rare, because yeah, there were other people who were single. But I do feel like, you know, there were people who had a boyfriend or girlfriend at some point during college. And so I feel like the fact that neither of us had that. It's not like it was a big deal. Like at the time, to be honest, I wasn't like, Oh, my God, I need a boyfriend. I was just kind of like, I'm living my life and collecting ridiculous stories along the way. But in hindsight, I do feel like that was a unique thing that also bonded us.
0: I think it's so true, because I had a group of friends of mostly people who lived in the dorm my first year. And almost all of them did have at least one relationship over the course of four years. And I feel like now when we think about our dating histories, and we talk about the experiences and stuff we have learned, it is definitely unique in retrospect. But I think it's also kind of a testament to how similar we are in the way that we see the world that During that time, neither of us thought that that was unusual or weird, or even like, to be honest, a goal that we were pursuing deliberately, like there was no agenda, of like, let's be single through college, or let's be single for four years. But it was just a consequence, I think, of what we maybe both wanted out of the college experience in some senses. And that's not to say that we didn't have plenty of uh, romantic
1: snafus, for lack (laughs) of a better word. (laughs) Romantic snafus. Episode title.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what are you going to call all the poor life choices we made at UCLA um, I other don't than snafus? I don't have
1: good description. For I think it? that is a great vocabulary word to describe it because you're right. It's not like oh, it was so boring and like we didn't care about dating. It was really just like okay, yeah, there's no relationship. Honestly, there were like two people who. I probably would have dated, you know, and it was like, we were friends, like we were friends with benefits, it didn't work out. But aside from that, it wasn't like getting a boyfriend was this huge goal. It was really just like, okay, we'll see what happens.
0: Oh, for sure. And I think like, partially for me, I moved to LA from India. So adapting to a whole new country was one thing, but I'd also just gotten out of the most serious relationship I'd had at that point, which sounds like this Mm -hmm. big thing, but we were only in high school. So it was Mm -hmm. sort of like, I think the process of getting over my high school relationship was maybe the first two years of ucla and then by the time we met that was definitely behind me so that was a lot of my freshman mm-hmm. year aka you didn't miss much at all uh, <laughs> but I, I think at least junior and senior year my focus was so much on learning more about myself and having all of mm. these different experiences that it didn't really factor in that a relationship would be one of those experiences that i prioritized essentially.
1: First of all, that was such a poignant and mature way to describe how you were approaching your life when you were literally 20, 21 years old, much more mature than I was. But yeah, I didn't really think about it until I remember one of my guy friends from San Diego, I think it was like right after we graduated. And he's like, so what's the deal? And I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, you've been in LA for like four or five years now, like usually people start dating someone by this point. And I was like, Oh. <laughs> it was just like, okay, I guess. Like, sorry, I'm behind, I guess. <laughs> Which is the way he like phrased it, is like, what is wrong with you?
0: I mean, I think it's also mostly in our conversations with other people where we came to realize like our duration of singleness was like <laughs> a topic of conversation. I mean, I for sure never sat there being like, oh, what's wrong with me? Why have I been single for five years? Like, I, I didn't even cross my mind until my, I think it was my undergrad roommate,
1: who's like, you know, you've been single for a long time. It's like, really? Have I? <laughs> it's just so funny how people are just like, yeah, I'm going to bring this up. It's not like it's offensive. It's just funny to, like, matter-of-factly point out, you haven't had anyone who loves you in years.
0: <laughs> I mean, I really don't know if that was the intention, <laughs> but it for sure it was, I know. like you really don't care about that many dudes and haven't for five years. So I would almost flip it. I think my roommate was like, are you like ever going to give a crap about anybody (laughs) enough to want to date them? And I mean, we've known each other for so long that to be fair, I wouldn't be surprised if you had asked me this question three years ago either. I mean, I've changed in many ways, but there's some parts of me that have definitely taken much longer to evolve and giving a shit about another person (laughs) in a romantic yeah. sense is definitely uh, I've been slower on the optic.
1: You know, okay, to backtrack again, I feel like part of why maybe we didn't really have the energy to put into a romantic relationship is because we were too busy like trying to stay alive and I feel like we always, <laughs> she literally almost, Spit out our why. I I love how it's so
0: casual, like trying to stay alive (laughs) is one of our primary goals. So don't got time today. I've gotta keep myself alive.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, because we always say, we'll look back and be like, literally, how did I survive some of these situations? And I feel like those are like the snafus and questionable decisions that we've been alluding to. And I will say, like, one of the things, again, just to kind of call out a similarity. So I think one of the scenarios that we both found ourselves in was partially because we didn't have any Uber, we didn't have any Lyft, again, that's dating us. But it didn't really come around until maybe a year after I graduated, I think. And so I remember, I think at some point, maybe I told you like, oh my God, I can't believe it. Like I was walking home from Bruco and this guy pulled up and he asked like if I wanted to ride home and I said yes and got in the car. Obviously nothing happened. Like he literally just offered me a ride. It wasn't like it was an elderly man who's like, oh my gosh, this poor drunken girl, she's going to like get attacked. It was just another college student. Um, but then you were like, oh, I've done that before.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I mean- fully i think it's hard for perhaps people who are listening who now live with uber and lyft to like understand why you would do that like i i I can imagine somebody who is you know 18 19 now being like that's wild why would you do that yeah and not to say it's not wild but it really was like a different decision at that time like were you really yeah. going to take a cab from Bruco back to, like, the dorms or the apartment? No. Like, that wasn't a thing. And I think there's, like, one piece of it that's, like, yeah, of course we were foolish and naive because that's objectively not a safe thing to do. But I think it's also yeah. a reality of, like, Westwood very much was a bubble, right? And, like, so you either mm-hmm. had it people was. who... Went to UCLA, were recent grads from UCLA, or like were affiliated with the university in some way, majority of the people. And then, you know, there was like Mm -hmm. always the random visitors. But to a large extent, I think we just felt so protected in that space that, like, it, Mm -hmm. I don't know that, like, when I was drunk and accepting a ride from some stranger. I was thinking that this person is gonna abduct me. I was like, oh, this is just a kind person that probably goes to UCLA and like knows that walking up that midvale hill is awful. And I'm sure I was Mm -hmm. wearing some four-inch heels because I made ridiculous decisions. I mean I still do like those types of ridiculous (laughs) decisions, to be clear. (laughs) But I I think it's fully that, like there's things that we have confided in each other and been like, well, I mean, I don't wanna encourage you but (laughs) I've definitely done that. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I think you brought up such a great point is that it was such a bubble. And I want to acknowledge, like, I think we were both really fortunate. I always felt safe at UCLA. And I'm so grateful that nothing sketchy ever happened. And so to your point, it wasn't like I was weighing the options of, oh, does he look like a serial killer? Like, no, I was just like, okay, like, he looks normal. He's our age, like, it'll be fine in the back of my mind. And I was like, it's not a long drive, whatever. Again, I'm not endorsing that. I wouldn't say that anyone should do it. But yeah, it was just kind of a simpler time where there weren't all these worries about what could happen if like, we do X, Y, and Z. It's just kind of like, oh, that was silly, but of course it's going to turn out fine. Yeah,
0: and I think, like, again, to attest to the fact that we were naive and young and foolish, I think we both <laughs> fully acknowledge it was not smart of yeah. us. And yeah. part of it is like we are alive through sheer luck. Let's be real. We've done enough things to... Yeah. You know, for that not to necessarily have been the case, but mm-hmm. there's so many things that I remember my call itself doing. And I'm like, what? What was wrong with you? And I mean, so many things, so many things were wrong with me.
1: Okay, I feel like you can't just say that and then not elaborate <laughs> on some more stories. <laughs> I
0: mean, it's decisions that I would evaluate from a very different risk perspective today that I had when I was living alone away from home for the first time in my life in any meaningful way. And it was kind of wild to me that I could make all of these decisions by myself. And I've now lived in the US for over a decade. So now it seems routine. But I think there's just this mindset shift going from living in your parents house to living, I don't know, a 24 hour flight away from them. And yeah, of course, Mm -hmm. you're responsible for your own life in a way that I definitely wasn't before moving to UCLA. But it also came with such a strong sense of freedom. And I mean, to some extent, probably like entitlement, right? That like, I'm going to make all these decisions, and it's going to be fine. So I feel like Mm -hmm. I have so much, so much respect for my parents and their patients when Mm -hmm. I kind of like made this decision to move away. But I did lots of stupid things, none of which I'm going to give you any details about because (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> okay that is rude
0: <laughs> I mean rude but not unexpected I try very hard to uh, leave that part of my life behind and I will say there are plenty <laughs> plenty of people who you could text right now who'd be like do you remember <laughs> that stupid thing Nandini did and you would get oh you mean the time she ran away and hid behind a bush so we wouldn't
1: see her I mean, you have been there, and I I have been there. I was like, I distinctly remember one story with you and a bush. And it's also, (laughs) like,
0: these are the people I love the most in the world, but for some reason, sometimes the fancy that strikes me is that I must run away from my best friends and hide behind a sparse bush, even though it's clearly evident that they can see me in my neon
1: (laughs) clubbing dress. Oh my god. Okay, so... I'll take one for the team because it transitions well from you running away. I remember there was one time where I was at the athlete house with like my roommate at the time and one of our other mutual friends. And so I had this one guy who from freshman year to like early junior year, we were just like hookup buddies. Like I'll just call it what it is. We did not hang out unless it was after like 11pm on a Thursday through Saturday. And so I was leaving a Thursday night party and my friends were like, no, like you can't go like you're not gonna go over to his house. And I was like, Oh, yeah, (laughs) watch me. i started running and i think they were just like what the fuck and then as i was leaving i literally tripped and i skidded my knee and there were a bunch of athletes outside and they're like oh and i just i didn't even pause i just like kept running until i got to his house my knee was bleeding i went to the wrong house at first it was yeah it was a disaster Hashtag
0: priorities
1: Priorities. But I actually do have one other story that's related to that. And so, like I mentioned, I only talked to that person until junior year. And there's a very clear point at which he stopped talking to me. I'm pretty sure I've told you this story, but I've actually never told it on the podcast. And it's pretty wild when I think about it. So, it was, I think, like a Friday night, and I'd gone over to his place. He was two years older. So, at this point, it was my junior year. He had moved out of the main college area. So he lived a little bit further away. I think he had come to pick me up and like take me back to his place. And then the next morning, I had a retreat for yet another culty organization that I was a part of. And it was kind of early in the morning. So I also had to drive a bunch of people. So I was like, I can't be late. Like my whole car is relying on me. So I wake up and I was like, where is he? <laughs> and he had just disappeared. I don't know where he was. In I his house. I called him. I texted him. And then I... Yeah, it was his house. And so I called him and I texted him. I was like, okay, he's not answering. And then I think I saw his phone was still in the room. So I was like, well, damn it. Like, I'm not going to be able to find him. And I think I like wandered around a little bit, didn't know where he was. So I was like, maybe he went to go get coffee. I don't know. But then like time passed and I was like, I need to go. And... Also dating us, well, for one, I wasn't 21 yet, nor did I have a fake ID. So I think I was just at, like, a house party. I didn't think to take my ID or my card. So I had nothing on me. I just had, like, my phone. That was it. And so I was like, okay, um, I really need to find a way to get home. Because there was no Uber or Lyft, I couldn't call an Uber or Lyft. So I think I opened, like, his like his bedside drawer. And I like took out a credit card and I called a cab and I used his credit card to take a cab home. Cause I was like, okay, you abandoned me here. You were my ride here. I have literally no other way to get home. And to my credit, I texted him and I was like, hey, I had to take your credit card, but I'll give it back to you. And it wasn't like it was that far. I didn't like charge $50 or anything like that. But I felt like that was the only reasonable response at that time and he never texted me again and so i had his card in my car for like a while because i fully did intend to give it back to him but i'm sure he just canceled it and was like um this is over like i'm out of college i can't deal with these shenanigans i mean if you're out of college and you can't deal with these shenanigans maybe you shouldn't disappear on the girl
0: you brought to your house the next day like i I feel like well okay I mean, I'm always on your side, you know this, but I feel like in this scenario, (laughs) like what else were you supposed to do? There wasn't this Apple Pay stuff then where you could just like figure your way out of this, like who carried cash? Like that's like, what are you carrying $20 in your bra? Like we didn't do that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No. Yeah. I guess actually, even as I was retelling the story, I didn't think that like, oh, you could have had cash, but yeah, no, I clearly didn't. That was my only option. I'm not normally a thief. But when difficult times come up, I guess you do what you've got to do. I mean,
0: and also, I feel like, how lucky for you that there was a credit card in his house. Like, what if there hadn't been one? What are you going to
1: do? I don't know. At that point, what do I, like, hitchhike? Like, and then take more rides from strangers? (laughs) Wouldn't be the first time. Probably not the last. But, yeah. (laughs) I actually did hitchhike (laughs) once after we graduated college. But it was also another desperate situation. I was in another country, it's a different story.
0: I, I feel like you can't be like, I did hitchhike once, but it was in another country, but it was totally desperate, so that that was fine.
1: I mean, it wasn't <laughs> fine, but I, we're digressing too much. We're okay, digressing okay. far There's too much. There's
0: already been too many hitchhiking stories, and I mean- To be fair, everybody that listens to this is going to listen to this and be like, really, bud, how are you guys alive? So I think
1: we've proved our point. Yeah. I think I really need to, like, maintain a modicum of respect among the listeners. (laughs) It's probably all gone already after, like, 20 minutes. I mean, that's why you waited seven months for us to do this,
0: right? (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, please don't abandon me after you listen to this. (laughs) I'm sorry, mom. (laughs) Your mom is going to be not a fan of me after this podcast. Maybe, maybe let's not tell (laughs) her about this episode.
1: If anyone could like overcome these stories, it would be you. I mean, it's a very
0: mutual fan club. You know, I adore you, mom.
1: Oh yes. So I guess, you know, kind of continuing to age ourselves, we've talked about the fact that we didn't have the apps back then for like Uber and Lyft, but we also didn't have dating apps. And so I feel like that really distinctly shaped our college dating experience. And so as I was thinking about it, I really had very limited dating experience. To your point, it's like we had gentlemen callers or people of interest or crushes, whatever you want to call them. But I think I only had three people who took me on a legitimate date where it's like, okay, if you were to put this in front of a jury, they would all rule that this qualifies as a date. It's not you being delusional. I asked you out. I'm going to pay. I'm taking you out. I'm treating you whatever. So, I guess I would love to hear like how many people did you actually go on dates with? Cuz I'm wondering is that extremely low or was that just kind of normal if you weren't in a relationship at the I time? I mean,
0: again, I feel like I'm probably not the person you want to benchmark against if you're trying to get dating experience in college because I think I maybe went on one legitimate date, honestly, I mean, yes, I have a terrible memory, but I also honestly can't remember a man asking me, hey, do you want to go to dinner with me? So there were zero dinner dates, for sure. There might have Mm -hmm, been like mm -hmm. one diddy restate, maybe, but my memory is kind of murky on anything more than that in college, for sure. And again, the people of interest, which I adore, (laughs) is kind of the realm within which my romantic relationship stayed in college. And- I don't think that all through UCLA, I frankly knew how to date because my high school experience was that I dated somebody that I went to school with in like a small class of 13 people, right? And then like this person went from being my best friend to friends with benefits to my boyfriend, but Mm -hmm. there was no process Mm -hmm. of like, hey, do you want to go out to dinner? Like, Granted, I did grow up in India, and when I was growing up in India, dating was not as common in the way that you think about it in the U.S., so there was, like, not this paradigm Mm -hmm. of, like, some guy is going to ask you to dinner to express romantic interest. That just wasn't the way things were when I was growing up in Delhi. So I had zero experience on how to date, and what I would even do if a man asked me to dinner. Like, I probably wouldn't even (laughs) understand what that meant. Uh, But to your point, like, I don't – I honestly don't know whether – your three dates were too low or not, but for sure, dudes at UCLA weren't going around asking people to dinner, right? That wasn't the culture no. at UCLA for sure, but also talking to my other friends across other schools in the US, that wasn't really very much a college culture, right? There wasn't a whole, I'm going to take somebody out on a date type
1: of thing. Yeah. And I wonder if Obviously, people who are in college now, pre-pandemic, they had the option of going on the apps. And I'm sure people in college go on the apps, which is a foreign concept to me, just because I feel like college is one of the few times in your life where you organically meet so many people of the same age. But... I wonder if maybe because there are apps and so it's a little bit more formalized of like, oh, if Mm. I swiped right on you, clearly I'm attracted. Does that also formalize the process of taking people out? Because I feel like it's very different if you like meet someone at a party and exchange numbers. I think it can be more casual versus if you meet on the app. I don't know. I I would just be really curious. And I know neither of us can answer that. It was just something I was kind of considering.
0: The thing to think about is, right, does it mean that the dating process becomes more formal? Or do you think that on college campuses today, that means that it's even easier to find a hookup, right? Because I think you you are maybe thinking more about the hinge category of apps. But in reality, Mm, mm -hmm. is it just making people lazier in terms of like, you don't even have to go talk to this person and give them your number at a party? right? You could just right swipe somebody on Tinder. And if they're within your radius, or you know, the app where like, you match if you cross paths, which is by far the laziest thing I've (laughs) ever heard. Uh, (laughs) Yes, I mean, I think it's, I I wonder which one it's facilitated. And again, I I mean, I think we're both far enough out of college that we probably don't have very many friends who can give us insight into Mm -hmm. this. But I I can't imagine going to college in a time of dating apps being what they are today.
1: Yeah. Aside from it making me feel extremely <laughs> old, I would love to interview someone who is in college. I think it would be so fascinating to hear. But yeah, I think if it is just hookup culture, which honestly makes more sense I think that's so sad. And it's not because I'm shaming hookup culture. Like, if you want to hook up, that's cool. I just think it's sad that now it has become so lazy, just because I feel like what little game I have, and I say little because it's not like it's anything to brag about, but what little game I have was developed at UCLA. You know, just having to learn how to interact with people in person. Because I think similar to you, but for different reasons, I had limited experience dating in high school. I was a late bloomer and my parents were a little bit more strict. So it wasn't even like if anyone had been interested, like I would have necessarily felt like it was normal to go on a bunch of dates in high school or like have a boyfriend. So I also had no experience dating and just kind of had to navigate in person and figure it out once I was there without the aid of an app which I'm really grateful for. I mean, for. I
0: think about it now that this is going to make me sound so old, right? But the combination of the fact that you interact even with your closest friends so much through social media combined with the fact that so much of dating and hooking up is probably done through the apps. I wonder, like, where do people in their, like, late teens develop people skills? I think about this a lot, right? Like, where do you learn how right? to navigate how to introduce yourself to people or like walk into a room full of strangers Mm -hmm. and make the most of that and to be fair like i was a big introvert mostly through high school i literally had four friends and Mm -hmm. this is like a running joke in my family Mm -hmm. that i've gone from having four friends to (laughs) now being lucky enough to have friends in at least four cities, right? My parents joke about this all the time. They're like, we can't believe that you can talk to Um, so many people now and not have a panic attack. But I credit all of that, like you, to UCLA, right? Like my kind of transformation from being this like very quiet introvert to learning how to engage with people in a way that like, it's not an uncomfortable experience. And I think about like, how do people learn that? Where do people learn that in the way that things are set up today? And I really, really don't know.
1: Yeah. And obviously the fact that now we're in the midst of a pandemic I feel so bad for anyone who was so ready to like burst out of their home and go away to school in the fall for the first time. And then it's like, no, never mind. (laughs) Like, how sad. I just feel like there are already so many things stunting our ability to comfortably interact in person. And the pandemic has not helped that. 2020, am I right? Worst. Worst. So kind of diving into what our dating life was like after college, because of course, at some point we had to grow up a little bit. I feel like shortly after when we graduated is when online dating really started to become a thing. Again, the amount of things that we've said that have aged us, but at this point, the jig is up. So I feel like our introduction to online dating was kind of also together. You know, I feel like it was also something we dove into not simultaneously, but around the same time. And I'll never forget the first time that I swiped the apps with you because legitimately we are swiping over sushi and I was like, this is three of my passions. First of all, we are eating sushi. We were day drinking. It was like a random Saturday. And we're talking about dating and getting to look at guys like this is the best thing ever. And so I remember I was swiping on your account. And so it was that phenomenon where the person who is not actively trying to date thinks it's so much fun and thinks it's the best thing ever. Whereas the person whose app it actually is, it's like, I promise you, it's not that great. So would love to just hear about Your early thoughts about online dating, your early experience, all of that.
0: This is kind of a continuation from the conversation with my college roommate I was referencing. I first started thinking about online dating even as, you know, a thing that I would consider doing. And again, to date myself yet again, this was like not at a point where online dating was cool, right? This was still before online dating's big Mm -hmm. rebranding, right? It was like back when online dating was considered kind of like for desperate people, like, to be frank. And this was even pre-apps, if I remember correctly, because I remember that the first online date that I went on was with somebody who I didn't even meet on an app. I met them on OkCupid, but this is when we still used websites. And when they would message me, I would get an Mm -hmm. email, and then I would respond, and they would get an email. (laughs) So now it sounds like, Oh. oh, this is what, Things probably sound like when people try to explain landlines to our generation, but that's literally (laughs) what online dating was before you could download an app on your phone and sit at a sushi bar, which we did. And I have such fond memories of that afternoon Mm -hmm. still. But my college roommate had this sit down with me where she's like, you know, you should probably consider potentially considering relationships or developing romantic relationships as at least a thing on your mind, instead of your very casual, like, I don't want to get involved with anybody type of stance, because it's been five years. Mm -hmm. And you've lived in LA for five years, like, it's time to think about like, what you're going to do next. And Mm -hmm. she actually was the one who wrote my OkCupid profile on the website, because it was a thing Mm. that I wasn't even Willing to do. And if I recall correctly, she actually even screened the first few messages. I didn't even respond to the first few messages because one, I thought this whole online dating thing was super weird. And two, I didn't know how to date still Mm -hmm. because I had been single for five years and not gone on any dates at UCLA as we've established. So I feel like I really have to credit her with the beginning of my online dating journey. And then, you know, once online dating went through its big rebrand, which didn't take that long, I think the timing, the moment was just right, like no. then, yeah, there were the apps and your first introduction to online dating as somebody that wasn't looking at it as a means of meeting somebody for real, right? So it, I can definitely see the gaming mm-hmm. element of it yeah. being so fun and novel, right? It's so much easier to swipe left or right on somebody versus like walk into a bar and be like, who should I talk to tonight, which is what we used to do pre the apps right? when we went out. Yeah. in Hollywood, you know, pre Uber still.
1: Yeah, it is really interesting. And I think that obviously, this makes sense that before it became an app, you would have to email back and forth. But I think that really just highlights how much more effort it would take to maintain banter. Because I feel like even now, if I have it in the app, and I haven't exchanged phone numbers with someone, it's very easy to get distracted and not check the app for like a little while. And then the conversation dies off. And then it's kind of like, okay, well, that fizzled. When you're emailing back and forth, I feel like both people have to be so much more invested in order to take it to the next level and actually get to the stage of, oh, yeah, we're mutually interested in a date. So very impressive. And I think also probably led to less ghosting when you did finally meet up with somebody because it's like, okay, we've made it this far. I'm probably not emailing with 12 other people because that would be ridiculous. And so it was probably a, a better time, even though you had fewer options. They were probably just more quality options.
0: It's wild because I messaged with this person via email on OkCupid I went on one date with him, which obviously took a while to set up because there just weren't that many people in their early 20s, frankly, using online dating as a real way to meet people. Like it just wasn't that common. So it wasn't like this giant pool of age appropriate men for me to even connect with. Right. So I went on this first date with this Mm -hmm. person. And to your point about the seriousness of online dating at that point versus today, where it's so much more accessible, I had another first date schedule with somebody else. And this first date went so well that I actually felt compelled to cancel my second first date with the other person. Because I think exactly to your point, it's a testament of like, you spent much more time messaging, emailing people via this website that it felt like a bigger commitment to go on Mm -hmm. a date with somebody it didn't feel to me it didn't Mm -hmm. feel like it was fair to do that to somebody if I was already excited about this one first date but if somebody told me that today I'd be like maybe you're taking this whole first date thing a bit too seriously and i mean in retrospect i wish somebody had told me that Mm -hmm. with the course of that relationship i wish somebody sat me down and they're like maybe you're taking this first date thing too seriously but unlike today we don't have tons of friends or colleagues or people our age who could have given anybody advice about online dating it just wasn't that common and you didn't have all this like shared experience that you could rely on but you know you know Mm -hmm. this you you met my lovely first online man. And in retrospect, you wish you would have
1: told me, don't take the first date too seriously. (laughs) Uh, You know, we will dive into that. And I wish I had in retrospect. However, I can't say any different because the first time that I ever got on the apps personally, it was probably just about a year after I graduated and I wasn't on them for long. I remember I went on two dates with two different guys and the first guy, he definitely had a foot fetish and the second guy, you know, he was really nice and like really polite and like complimentary and we did have a good date and I went on a couple other dates with him and we ended up becoming exclusive and so it was like this was the second guy that I ever went on an online date with and just thinking about how I approached online dating the second time around, after I'd been in two back-to-back long-term relationships, I feel like I just approached it so differently. And I think to your point, we didn't really have any context for how you should hack when you're online dating or just kind of like realizing that there are more fish in the sea and so maybe you can give more people a try to figure out what you like. But also, I feel like because we were both freshly out of college and we mentioned no one was taking us out on dates, I think the bar was just a lot lower for like, what's impressive and like what courtship should look like. So it's not like I could have said, oh, at the time I knew you shouldn't have settled for this like first person. I probably would have done the same thing if I really liked the first person who I went out with also. For
0: both of us, I think we truly learned to online date and really date at the same time. So there was very Mm -hmm. little, I think, that we could compare online dating to offline dating, right? Because for us, at least the Mm -hmm. first time around, they were very similar outside of our college shenanigans.
1: Yes. So I feel like now we have to just dive in to this first online dating relationship experience. All right. So yeah, I guess I would love to hear what made that first date so great? Like why did you feel so compelled to cancel the first date with the other guy after just one meeting?
0: One, it was truly like, the first real date I'd been on, not to mention the first online date I'd been on with Mm -hmm. somebody that I didn't know, like somebody that was an entire stranger to me. And I referenced this a little bit. But Mm -hmm. because I used to be an introvert, it wasn't that common for me to connect so easily with somebody right off the bat. But that first date was one of the most non-awkward conversations I've had with a stranger, whether of the same or opposite gender. And it was just such an interesting Mm -hmm. experience other than the fact that I was really attracted to him. So that always helps. But I also think Mm -hmm. it was partially because I just didn't have any context on like what other dates could be like. And I was expecting this to be a somewhat uncomfortable experience. And it really wasn't. And again, this sounds crazy to people today, but I had talked to this person on the phone before which is not a thing I think people would do Mm -hmm. pre-pandemic. And so I think it was just... Yeah, true. It was that potent combination of the fact that I was attracted to this person, the experience itself going much more smoothly than I was expecting, and me just kind of discovering dating for the first time in some way. And, I mean, I was in my early 20s. Like, it was... It's not the time you're supposed to be experiencing dating for the first time, for sure. (laughs) So I think that...
1: (laughs) I disagree. It's interesting because I've been in a
0: two-year relationship before that, right? My high school relationship was two years long. So it wasn't that I didn't know how to be in a relationship. I think I really didn't know how to date. And those are two really distinct things that I can reflect on now mm-hmm. and understand. But I don't think that when I was 22, I was seeing them as two separate things. So in my mind, the fact that this first date went really well, naturally equated to the odds that this relationship would go well, Were they, they were one and the same when I was 22, versus when I think about it now, I can understand that the dating experience and the relationship experience are two distinct things. And you need different things for somebody to be a good date versus a truly good partner.
1: Yes. And I don't think that this is unique to you. I think kind of going back to how we were saying, you know, when we were in college, there was a lot of naivety around why would anything go wrong in this situation? I think it makes sense that not having dated and gone on a lot of dates and experienced what can happen when you start to really like someone and then they disappoint you down the line. It's like, yeah, of course, if we get along, like, why wouldn't this translate into a healthy, happy relationship long term? I think that that is just something that unfortunately, you have to learn. And it's not a fun thing to learn. But before you go through something that teaches you otherwise, it's, it's a logical assumption. To and make. I,
0: I think partly it's that but it's also partly that at that point in time, I assumed that the other guy that I would have gone on a first date with was also kind of in a similar place of wanting to meet new people in a more serious fashion. Not in the same Mm -hmm. way that I would right swipe on someone today and go on a first date and not think that they're necessarily there for a serious goal, right? At that point in time, I presumed that if somebody was in their early 20s and using online dating to meet people, they were really in a place where they were looking for a relationship. And that's part of the reason why I felt compelled to call that off. And I think that I would probably handle the situation very differently today, honestly.
1: So after you have this first date, How did things progress in terms of you deciding whether or not you were on the same page, talking about what the other person was looking for, and then eventually getting into an actual relationship?
0: So far, I've described this first date as like, at the end of the date, me being clear that I wanted a relationship with this person. I don't think that that was the case. It was that I went on a date that went much better than I was expecting that date or any date to go, really. And I had decided Mm -hmm. that I was going to online date because... I wanted to learn how to date in some ways, not so much that I was ready for a relationship. The course of that specific relationship was, this person seemed very much zero to 100 in that he was kind of like, okay, I really like you. I think that we get along really well together and I really want to try to make this work. And I remember him putting on the Mm -hmm. table like, let's be exclusive and I told him like, I don't know if I'm ready for that because I'm Mm. still trying to figure out this whole dating thing, right? And despite that, we had a few conversations and it was kind of like, I I was considering relocating from LA at that point also, which is always in the back of my mind. We had a few Mm -hmm. conversations and this person was like, well, we don't know how much longer you're gonna be in LA So for the time you're here, we should just do this thing, right? Like, we should make it work. And I think it's also important Mm -hmm. for me to be truthful in that I really liked this person. I had a big fear of commitment, uh, which is kind of like a recurrent theme in my life. But Mm -hmm. I feel like I've always had that fear in romantic relationships, which was also the case with this person. But because he Mm -hmm. was so clear that, like, this was the right thing for us to do... I kind of put aside my fear of commitment and that if this is so important to this person that I really like, it's worth a shot, right? And my fear of commitment has also partially Mm -hmm. been the reason that I perhaps didn't want to date seriously prior to that point. So clearly whatever I was doing before this person wasn't working in getting me any closer to learning how to date or finding Mm -hmm. a boyfriend, right? So it's like, okay, let me try this a different way. Mm -hmm. So we had the conversation about being exclusive, it turns out that somebody can tell you they want to be exclusive with you, but not really mean it, which is a, a not a fun lesson to learn from the first person you're dating in any significant way after five years of being single. So it unraveled pretty quickly. No. But I think to this day, I credit that six-month relationship as perhaps one of the most intense and important learning periods of my entire dating history.
1: So as much as you feel comfortable, I'd love to hear, like, how did you learn that he was being disingenuous? Because to your point, I think there's no reason to not take someone at face value, unless, you know, maybe they are Exhibiting some crazy red flags, but also I think early on it's harder to identify those red flags, you don't really know what to look for. So, when did the red flags come out? Like, when did you start to feel like he wasn't actually being true to what he was saying?
0: The red flags weren't that long after he had the exclusive conversation, right? So, we had the conversation of we did this beautiful day trip to Santa Barbara and you know he drove us up there we had this like amazing picnic on the beach and he was like you know I, I think that this is what I want to do like for like as long as you're in LA I think that we should try to see if this thing really works. So we did this beautiful day trip on the drive back from Santa Barbara. Uh, I was holding his phone because I was playing DJ and he was really weird about that. So mm-hmm. I think that was the very first red flag because he would keep getting texts from a girl who I've never heard about Mm. and who he's never really mentioned, which I thought was odd because we talked pretty frequently and this person had just asked me to be exclusive despite knowing the fact that I wasn't really looking for this, like, exclusivity commitment, right? So, red flag Mm. number one, which, you know, it's like, eh, maybe it's just some person I don't know. We don't know everything about each other's lives yet. So whatever like not a big deal maybe she just has something to say to him didn't think about it much at that point mm-hmm. a few days or weeks later this person would also just refuse to be facebook friends with me which like as i'm saying this back and the number of times i've talked about this like that's not a small red flag that should have been like a pretty clear red flag but again swept away in this combination of really strong feelings this novel experience of like dating in a way different than I've ever done before. And the fact that we genuinely had a really good time together when we were together, right? I didn't Mm. have enough experience to know that the red flags mean that you should slow down and reevaluate if the way you feel with this person and the way you feel when you're not with this person should feel that different, right? And I think that's a lesson I've Mm -hmm. relied on so much through my dating history, right? If I feel really amazing with somebody when I'm with them, but I feel really crazy all of the times we're not together, like that actually is more of a red flag than them not wanting to be Facebook friends with me or some random girl texting incessantly while I'm holding his phone and him feeling very nervous about it, right? Mm -hmm. Like to me, that's a sign of examining is this person really going to be able to be the partner that I want in my life, right? So I think those are like the three big red flags. We have talked about this relationship for a long time and we both know that this unraveled not that long after the exclusive conversation and kind of the, Mm the number of red flags just sort of increased exponentially.
1: So, I mean, I have so many thoughts. First of all, I love what you said about the difference between how you feel when you're with someone and how you feel when you aren't with them, because I do think that's such a good barometer for whether or not that person is trustworthy, because your intuition in your gut always know if something is off. And I think it's harder to fool your intuition when you don't have the external the things that like make up the honeymoon period, you know, it's like you don't have those romantic gestures, you don't have the chemistry when you're with that person. And those things I think can cloud your intuition. But yeah, I think when you're really sitting with something and you don't have those distractions, that's when you can really start to parse out how solid the relationship is and whether or not they're doing things to make you feel secure or insecure. And then I really have to ask, and I know you probably don't have an answer for this because it's his own shit that he was dealing with. But like, why would somebody do that? You know, I just wonder if you weren't pressuring him to be in a relationship, which you made it clear you weren't even necessarily sure you were ready for it. The logical thing would be for a guy to be like, okay, this is ideal. Like, I can date her. She's not in a rush. She's not going to leave if I say I don't want to be exclusive. And then I can continue to date other people in the meantime if that's what I want. But for him to go out of his way to assure you that he wanted to be in a relationship with you only to continue to do shady things, I'm like, that seems like sociopath behavior.
0: I pondered this question for a long, long time after the relationship blew up. Uh, And I think there's something potent about this, right? There's this experience of me feeling like we are at this point of seriousness in this relationship because he wanted that, right? I'm not saying that I didn't agree. I did agree, Mm -hmm. but he was the one who put it on the table, right? Mm -hmm. And every time I felt like he was doing shady things that would point away from the fact that he wanted to be in this relationship, it made me feel so crazy Because he was the one who had, in fact, brought us to this place, whereas if we had done things the way that I wanted to do them, or what I put on the table, none of the shady things he did would, in fact, be shady. They would just be a normal part of non-exclusively dating someone, right? Like texting other girls, seeing lots of other girls not wanting to be Facebook friends. That one's still kind of shady, but... Anyway, it's, I just yeah. constantly <laughs> felt like I was being gaslit in a way because I didn't create the seriousness of our relationship, and I didn't mm-hmm. do things that wouldn't meet the expectation of a exclusive relationship, right? When we decided we were going to be exclusive, and I agreed to that, to me, that was like, okay, we're going to be exclusive, even though I didn't put that on the table, versus for him, it was like, mm-hmm. I'm going to say we're exclusive, but I'm going to do all of the things that mean we're not exclusive, so... I drove myself crazy thinking about this exact thing because I feel like I felt gaslit and like, is he really doing this? Is this a real red flag? If he was really doing this why would he ask to be exclusive when Mm -hmm. I didn't particularly care about that, right? Uh, So, yeah, you're right. I don't have the answer. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have... I'm not one of those people that talks badly about my exes, but I have sometimes wondered if there were like deeper unresolved issues for him to want to handle this relationship in this way i did end up relocating to india during the course of this relationship which to me in some ways fed into his like oh she's leaving anyway so it doesn't really matter that i said we are going to be exclusive like it doesn't actually mean i have to be exclusive i think that fed into that a little Mm. bit but Mm -hmm. i think that it drove me crazy and made me question all the things that I thought I knew objectively for so much longer, because he would constantly revisit the relationship for a long time after I left, despite consistently acting in ways that didn't stand true to what he told me he wanted from us. So, I mean, I thought it was mm-hmm. I thought it was wild yeah. that I was in India, and he would be calling me and wanting to tell me how much he missed me, despite the fact that He was the one who was seeing other people when he asked to be exclusive. Like the whole thing made me feel like either I wasn't objectively understanding what had happened or I was crazy and had misunderstood Mm -hmm. what he wanted from our relationship or I was imagining scenarios that didn't exist with what he was doing with other girls, none of which was true. Mm -hmm. What was really true is that he was lying to me. And he was simultaneously gaslighting Mm -hmm. me and insisting that he wasn't lying to me. Because I do think in some part of that, he did have feelings for me. It's just that he didn't know how you treat people when you care about them.
1: Yeah. So how did you eventually confront him with this to your point being gaslit i think there's a lot of cognitive dissonance of okay is what i think i'm experiencing really what's happening so at what point do you kind of get to the point of saying okay i need to actually come face to face with this person look him in the eye and hear his side of the story and tell him what i'm thinking versus being like okay well it might not actually be what i think
0: i mean i think this was one of the points in our relationship that I did something really scary and I asked for help, right? I asked for help from you. I asked for help from my best friend because Mm -hmm. I had like evidence, like visible evidence on social media that like he was seeing other girls and they were writing things on his Facebook wall and posting things on Instagram. So I literally was, I think at that point I was just so tired of feeling crazy which is a very difficult experience for someone that's like a rational person like me, that I took screenshots and I asked like Mm -hmm. my closest friends, like, does this read like they are romantically involved or is this me projecting, right? And without a doubt, everybody that I asked was like, this reads like they are romantically involved. And then when he would call me or text me, I also actually took screenshots of that because at that point, I had gone so far down the gaslit route that I needed to hear from people who weren't in the situation. Like, yes, he's actually saying that he wants to get back together and he's actually saying that he misses you. But this is also Mm -hmm. all simultaneously happening while the rest of the stuff is happening, right? So I don't know if he thought like it would work because I was in India and we weren't seeing each other in real life. I I don't know what he thought at all and I don't know what he hoped to accomplish from handling things in this way, but I asked for help and I asked for help from like a small group of people that I trusted implicitly because I needed to know if it was me making stuff up or if this was objectively what it seemed like, right? That's why I say like it was probably Mm -hmm. the most intense six months of my entire romantic history. But it was the six months that I think I learned the most about other people. And people can say things they don't mean and it's okay. And they don't always think that you will find out that they don't mean those things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's great that you did open up and ask for third party opinions because it's really important to have that validation from people who you trust I'm not saying he did this, but I think that sometimes when you're in a relationship with someone who is manipulative, I think that's why they try and cut you off from the people who care about you the most because they don't want you to have that outlet and that objective voice to say like, no, this behavior actually isn't okay and to kind of speak reason into you. And I also feel like even when you have close friends and you have friends who you tell almost everything to, sometimes I think it can be really hard to bring yourself to open up about the more quote unquote, embarrassing things in your relationship. And it's not embarrassing, you know, like objectively, you're not doing anything wrong. You're just trying to figure out what's going on in this relationship where someone's saying one thing and doing another. But I think that there can be shame and embarrassment associated even when it's unjustified. And there's no need to feel that way. So I'm definitely glad that you felt comfortable coming to me and to other people. I
0: mean I think you're absolutely right like the shame is real the fear is also real that even the people you trust and love the most are gonna judge you for having created the situation but I think the thing that maybe saved mm-hmm. me in the midst of all of this was that I wasn't used to feeling crazy for lack of a better word I wasn't used to living in the state of cognitive dissonance which is exactly what it was where one thing was clearly happening, but I was constantly being told that something else is happening. And I think for better or for worse, that state of cognitive dissonance overrode the shame, which is, which was a very real fear and feeling at that time, and oft, on, on some days just as dominant as the cognitive dissonance. But Like, objectively, of course, I know we're going to be friends no matter what, because we have seen each other through so much stuff. But for anybody that feels shame because you feel like somebody is making you feel crazy, ask a third person, like, is this person making you feel crazy or are you Mm -hmm. reading into the situation? It's worth it to push past the shame, no matter how hard it feels.
1: It really is. There are definitely times when I wish that I had asked for a third party opinion in some past situations. And so I think it's a really good reminder to put out there for people. So how did that whole experience impact how you approached dating going forward? Because I feel like to your point, that's not obviously, that's not an ideal situation to experience at any point in your dating history, but especially not when you're like, oh, this is my first experience meeting a stranger and deciding to date them and trust them. How do you feel like it changed the way that you approached online dating?
0: I don't think that I've ever put it together in this way. But now that we're talking, I think for me, it sort of really doubled down, like, it validated to me that my initial approach of not wanting to be exclusive was the thing that would have saved me in that relationship, right? So... I know you're smiling because Mm -hmm. this is like a recurring pattern in all of the people I have dated since. And I'm sorry to all of the men -hmm. that I've dated since that I have always insisted on not being exclusive, including my current boyfriend, because I think that's where I thought it fell apart in that relationship, right? So that experience didn't bias me against online dating. And it didn't bias me against men in general, I think it really underlined for me that if what makes me feel more comfortable and more in control of the situation is to not be exclusive with the person that I'm dating. That's the pattern I'm going to commit to, right? And in some relationships following that, that was the right strategy. But in some relationships, I got Mm -hmm. in my own way because I was trying to follow a pattern to protect myself from a certain type of person and not everybody you meet and not everybody you date, even Mm -hmm. if they don't end up being your boyfriend are manipulating you or don't know what they want or can't actually follow through with the things they say. Right. So I've had to think long and hard about where it's coming from. This insistence on not being exclusive. But to me, I think that was the biggest effect of living through that first experience.
1: Yeah, that makes total sense. And I imagine that I don't want to be stereotypical, but you know, if you think about how men might view how women think about dating, I feel like oftentimes the narrative in media is like women are the ones who want to be exclusive and men are the ones who drag their feet and take their time. What were the reactions that you got from guys when they were like, no, let's be exclusive? And you're like, no, that's okay.
0: Every sort of piece of media you consume tells you that the power lies with the man in making the decision whether to be exclusive or not and actually I think it's true that the fact that I was always clear that Mm -hmm. I wasn't going to be exclusive with anybody Almost until I knew that I was in love with them, which is a really strange way of dating, to be honest. Like I, I wouldn't advise that to other people, right? Like don't don't not be exclusive with somebody you really like until you're sure you're in love with them. It's not really a strategy for success. And you and I both know this, but more accurately, to your point, like part of it is the power dynamic. Like going into that any sort of dating experience, putting that very much on the table. That look, I'm dating and I'm gonna be respectful and honesty matters to me above all so I'm gonna tell you that I'm also seeing other people because I had decided that I actually did really need to learn how to date and how to go on dates and how to interact with other romantic prospects because like at this point I was like in my mid-20s and still didn't really know how to do that thanks to like this setback right so Mm -hmm. I I feel like it changed the power dynamic every single guy i have dated since then and by dated i mean gone on more than a few dates where this conversation would have come up in any meaningful way has if not understood that kind of taken a step back and been like oh interesting like i I think that sometimes that narrative of the man being the one to be able to call the exclusivity thing is internalized by both genders And I think recognizing that both people have an equal say Mm -hmm. in that is something that everybody should remember, right? Every woman who's dating should remember that. Every man who's dating should remember that. Yes. It's a mutual decision, right? So it did change the power dynamic. It led Mm -hmm. to some interesting conversations. I think it was a new and sometimes fun experience for the guys I dated. And I'm really good friends with most of them still. So we talk about this sometimes and how almost... Freeing it was to know from the get-go that I wasn't going to be the one pushing that. And if that changed, I would put it on the table. I wouldn't like sit mm-hmm. and wait for them to reach that place yeah. if it changed for me.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I love because it... Sounds like such an empowering way for you to date. And we both, I know, listened to this dating podcast where one of the things that the male host, he'll say this a lot in the advice, and he'll say that a lot of times the women who write in, they're kind of approaching dating from, well, if they like me, then I like them, which is not the way that anyone should date, obviously. That comes from a place of scarcity. It's like you're not valuing yourself and you're kind of like saying like, oh, well, my options are limited, so I'll take what I can get. Really, no, that shouldn't be how it is. I feel like I love that you were doing the exact opposite. And I feel like it probably, I don't want to say, again, I'm not saying this to be like, oh, be manipulative and tell people that you don't want to be exclusive with them. But I can't imagine that it kind of like whipped them into shape a bit more. And they were probably like, okay, like I have to work for it more and like have to really prove that I I'm a worthy partner. And, you know, not in a weird way where it's, like, anything that you are doing intentionally. I just imagine that that does kind of make them take a step back and, like, think about the fact that you're very clear about what you want. And you're not just, like, here to settle for any relationship. Like, you have to be 100% sure.
0: I think the thing that it did, and not everybody that I dated and had this conversation with actually wanted to be exclusive with me. That's not what I'm representing at all. But I think the fact that I put it on the table that I am dating multiple people. And if it seems like my feelings towards the person I'm dating are changing, I will discuss it. I think it really forced them also to evaluate like what it is they were looking for, and put that on the table right? I think that was the key. Mm -hmm. And it's exactly what you're saying is not everybody has to want to be in a relationship. And not everybody only wants to hook up. But I think the Mm -hmm. trouble that you get into is when you're not clear about what it is that you want. And you don't push the other person to be clear Mm -hmm. about what they want. Because truly, you can be really compatible with someone and not want the same things at that point in time in your lives. And that's... Mm -hmm okay like you have to make your peace with that and find a way to move on but it doesn't reflect on you being a bad partner or you being undesirable but forcing the conversation on what both people are looking for i feel like is a much more efficient way of dating to be honest
1: so i feel like these conversations they bring up two things that are kind of taboo theoretically speaking, to bring up early on. And one is, what are you looking for? Like, what are we? And two is your past dating history. So I'm really curious, like, at what point, what did the conversation of exclusivity typically come up? And also, when it did come up, and you were explaining that you weren't looking to be exclusive at that stage? Did you ever go into the history that kind of led you to take this approach?
0: I'll answer the second question first. I never explained it as an outcome of my last relationship, because that to me was like too direct a line of like, mm-hmm. I'm holding my current dating person accountable for mistakes that my ex has made, which never seemed fair to me, right? And to me, mm-hmm. it was more like that experience with my ex had reinforced that my initial instinct of taking the time that I need to get to know somebody was the thing that worked best for me, right? So I actually oftentimes didn't even phrase it as an exclusive versus non-exclusive thing. I would sometimes just tell the person I was seeing, like, I take a long time to open up, right? And I think it's also important to remember, like, I didn't always date other people when I was being non-exclusive with someone. It really was just a commitment level thing, which was me trying to navigate at what point I feel secure with this person, really, right? So I didn't draw as a direct line from my past relationship, but I did stick pretty true to this is the way that I get to know someone and I take a long time to let people into my life. And I mean, I think it helped that it was also true for most of my Mm -hmm. friendships, right? Most of my friendships have evolved over the course of many, many years. And it does take Mm -hmm. me a long time to let new people into my life. So it never felt dishonest to say that to someone. Yeah. I think that having lived through the chaos of those six months with my ex, it kind of made any uncomfortable conversation that I had to have about how I was approaching dating worth it. Because the thing that I knew is that I didn't want to get into a place where the two people are not clear on their expectations. And it's hilarious because to this day, I mm-hmm. will force my boyfriend to have now quarterly check-ins where we both talk about how things are going in the relationship, <laughs> right? Because it's to me, it's really important over mm-hmm. anything else that both parties know where they stand and if you don't know things aren't working, you can't fix anything. Mm-hmm. So I think it's had a big impact, both in the people yeah. that I dated mm-hmm. since and in the way that, in the partner that I am today. So the conversation was not often uncomfortable because I framed it in a way that wasn't about that other person and what I was looking for. It was more about like a interpersonal style that I had. But for anybody else, I think there are ways to do mm-hmm. it that mm-hmm. are, reliant on humor or don't get so deep that kind of helps set expectations I don't think anybody has to have like this really intense conversation on the third date because Mm. you've now made it to the third date right you and I have talked about this lots of times but I think there are ways to say that without it becoming Mm -hmm. like a 45 minute but what emotional baggage are you carrying that you're so scared of commitment which is really like one of the dimensions of it right
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think taking that lighthearted approach and not being like, but what are we but saying, Oh, just so you know, here's the person who I am. And so if we're going to date, this is something that you should just be aware of is a very healthy way to approach it.
0: I mean, it didn't come from a healthy place, right? I wasn't like (laughs) being super woke or super feminist or like super assertive, like all of the media internalizes that women want to be exclusive. And I'm going to stand against the tide. It was coming from like, a very personal place of hurt and like wanting to protect myself so I don't want to paint it as like an outcome of like oh I knew what I was doing and I wanted to stand up to stereotype it wasn't that at all it's just that I'm grateful that the way that I processed that hurt allowed me to protect myself mm-hmm. after sometimes maybe even when I didn't need protecting but it's hard to see that when you are still trying to take care of yourself and not rely on other people for that.
1: And I will say, I think it's healthier that you did it from a, place of processing your own feelings. Like, I think if you were doing it to be like, I'm going to take a stand against the patriarchy, that's cool. But like, is that healthy? Not necessarily, because then you're not reacting in a way that's necessarily even best for you. You're just kind of doing it because you think it's something you should do versus it being something you actually should do and need to do for yourself. So I think even though you weren't taking like a woke stance, as you say, I still think that your approach was the best better one. And your motives were pure. And so I think that's why it ended up being the healthiest way for you to move forward.
0: Well, this is why we're best friends, right? Because we're like a mutual band club.
1: Yes, seriously. (laughs) Just hyping each other up all the time. (laughs) But we live for this. Yes, yes. (laughs) (sighs) So- Diving into your current relationship. So of course, as you alluded to before, this is a conversation that you had to have with him early on as well, too. And I know that when we were talking, and you would tell me about how dating him was going before you actually became exclusive, it became pretty clear that I was like, okay, this guy like is very interested in her and like, clearly wants it to move to the next level. So Given that obviously you liked him a lot, you know, you ended up together, you're in a very happy, healthy relationship now. How did you balance the fact that you liked him with this caution with also having to deal with the fact that, like, he had to exhibit a lot of patience given his strong level of interest?
0: I think that for my current relationship, which by far is the healthiest, sanest relationship I've had to date— uh, for which no credit, very little credit goes
1: to me. Stop it. Let's
0: say <laughs> a majority of the credit does oh go to my, my partner. Uh, it doesn't mean I'm not an amazing girlfriend. I am, but like, <laughs> I don't think I am the one contributing healthy behaviors to this relationship. I, okay.
1: You know, I disagree, but I'll let yeah. you go on.
0: But I think in the early months of our relationship, It was definitely a very novel experience for me to be going on dates with somebody who honestly from the start was like very clear on what he wanted and if this was working for him and kind of like where his feelings were for me. I wasn't used to that despite initiating conversations about like how I wanted to date with all the other people I had dated. So it was new and interesting, and I had to learn how to respond to that in a way that was like, I'm really interested in you, but I need time to see how I really feel, right? Like, for me to believe what you're saying, I need to see you still feel the same way, like six months from now. Mm -hmm. Again, I think this is, my current relationship was one of the instances in where I think I took protecting myself more seriously than perhaps the situation required because of my fear of being hurt, right? And I I don't really have a good answer to this other than the fact that my boyfriend to this day is a patient man, Mm -hmm. despite being very clear on like what it is that he wants, I think he was able to balance like, I know what it is I want. And I want her to get to the same place by herself. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't want her to get to that place because I pushed. And some of it was tactical, right? Like, when I met my boyfriend, he would travel for work Monday through Thursday, Mm -hmm. which meant for me, I had a lot of space to figure out how I felt. And by default, our dates would generally be spaced out by, like, at least a week. And it kind of put, like barriers around when we could see each other, right? Mm -hmm. So if I was like, we went on a really great date on a Saturday, which was our first date, Mm -hmm. I think that if I needed more space, I kind of knew that I was going to have to see him the next weekend, or it would be two weeks Mm -hmm. until we could go out again, right? Mm -hmm. So part of it was like a practical impact of what his job was then. But I think most of it was his ability to be clear about what he wants, but also balance me getting there in my own time, which I really think is a recurring theme in our relationship. And part of the reason why we fit so well together is because it's not really about like one of us adapting to the other person 100% of the way. I think it's both of us having space and room to do life in a way that works for us and having constant conversations about is that the same direction or is that not the same direction more conversations than he'd like to be honest i don't think he wants to talk about how we're doing like mm-hmm. every month or every morning <laughs> like, I, it's not really his favorite activity
1: <laughs> but <laughs> he's like nothing's changed <laughs> it's great i
0: mean he's like i mean it's it's great like i feel the same way i felt the first month i met you but like Aww. for me because i have lived through the experiences i've lived through It's important for me to check in and be like, hey, I want to create room. Like, if something is not going well, you know you can talk about it when we are talking about this, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For me, it's like, I really, really believe that if I don't know that you're unhappy, I can never make you happy. And the only way for me to ask, are you unhappy, is to create enough room in our relationship for that to be not a confrontational conversation. Mm So. You know I do these quarterly check-ins everybody I talk to that are my close friends think it's insane that I do these quarterly check-ins. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm pretty sure my boyfriend thinks it's also insane, but I think that he understands this is like what I need for the relationship to thrive and it doesn't it's not that difficult for him to do. So he's like cool.
1: Yeah. And okay. Wow. Well, again, I feel like every, every time you like say something, I'm like, gosh, I have so much to add to that or so much to agree with. So first of all, before I forget, I want to bring up the fact that you reminded me about the structure of your dates and the fact that you traveled during the week and something that you said earlier about your ex and how you had to really think about how you felt when you were with him versus when you, how you felt when you were without him. I feel like it's easier to get trapped in the honeymoon phase of things when you're like, we both like each other, we're going to hang out all the time. And the fact that you just couldn't do that, and you had so much alone time to process how you were feeling without him there and without getting swept away in the romance of it all, I think that probably made for a really solid foundation. So not always the most ideal, but it sounds like you guys really made the most of the situation, honestly, and that Set you up for success long term. Another thing I wanted to say is I feel like we always joke about how even if we're we're dating somebody, and this isn't what you're talking about at all. It's not like about attraction, but it's like if you're dating someone, you're kind of like, okay, but like what if all of a sudden they like don't think I'm attractive anymore or whatever. And I think that you setting up those quarterly check ins, not that it's a chance for him to be like, I still think you're pretty, but I think it just speaks to a broader need for like those words of affirmation and just reassurance. And I don't think it comes from a place of insecurity. I just think if words of affirmation are one of the love languages that you have, then it makes sense that you would kind of want to make sure and not just assume that the other person feels the same way that they did month one. Because yeah, your boyfriend feels that way. And I think in a healthy relationship, you know, you should still feel the way that you do month one. But there are also perfectly healthy relationships where you don't feel the same way you do month one because scenarios change. I imagine there are couples now who live together during the pandemic, and they might still love each other, but I would guarantee a lot of them don't feel the way that they did month one because there's no mystery anymore. You're just like with each other 24-7. So I think it's good to have those times to check in and talk just to make sure that, you know, if there is something that's bothering you, you can kind of nip it in the bud before it festers and becomes a deeper issue.
0: And I mean, to be fair, most of the times we do the check-in, which in like, contrary to my normal style, I would send a calendar invite for any sort of recurring check-in. I don't do that with him because it's so contrary to his style. And that like, again, he would he would object to that, right? Again, it's like finding finding ways for us both to be who we are as people but like meeting somewhere in the middle right mm-hmm. so like he'll do the quarterly check-ins but if i were to make it a recurring meeting invite on our shared calendar he would not love that right so there are lines literally
1: lines i'm imagining like we're going through like quarterly business reviews right now at work i'm like this is literally a quarterly business review but like four-year relationship <laughs>
0: I mean, it it is like a review on the health of our relationship. Like most times when I open this conversation, and we've had this conversation enough times. Like he knows. Like oh, this is he's like you're trying to sneak a check in. I don't really appreciate that. Like, it's not. It's not time for. It's not <laughs> <a> time <laughs> to yet. sneak it in. So you know, it's like <laughs> we we've been together for almost three years at this point. So like he knows, like that this is a recurring conversation we have, and. A lot of times that conversation creates space for us to talk about like very minor tactical things that both of us find irritating or frustrating, especially now that we spend so much more time literally working next to each other in one of our living rooms, Mm -hmm. which was not what month one of our relationship looked like at all, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of times it is talking about like, hey, babe, when we have to plan a grocery shop, I find it frustrating when you do X. Like, it's not mm-hmm. a sexy conversation. Mm-hmm. It's not like, oh, my God, what are we going to do together as a couple in, like, mm-hmm. I don't know, month 1,000 of this pandemic, right? It's like, <laughs> when you act in this way, it makes me feel irritated. Can we find a way around that, yeah. right? So it's it's not like a big, oh, my God, we're reevaluating the state of our relationship. But I do think if we didn't talk about what was a effective way for us to address, like, grocery shopping as a couple or, like house things as a couple it would become bigger issues in our relationship because we are very different people mm-hmm. right like we are fundamentally very different people and so we need that time to reflect on and bring this is bothering me because it's very different from what i would do and how do we deal with this in a way when neither of us is worked up about it
1: hmm Also, you saying that it's a time when neither of you has worked up about it. That is so key because I have only had one similar experience and it was towards the end of a two-year relationship and we should have broken up at that point. Like I think it was clear to both of us like things were not working out and when we were trying to figure out how are we going to make this work, he had actually suggested like maybe we should set time like and have Sunday nights be the night when we talk about things and address how we're feeling in the relationship, which I give him credit for. I'm actually still shocked that he was the one to suggest that. And I think that, you know, had we done that maybe a year in, maybe we wouldn't have gotten to that point. We probably still would have because I don't think we were a good match long term. But it doesn't really make sense to do it when both people are already like, oh, I've thought about breaking up with you multiple times. I think it's kind of like that's a Hail Mary and it's too much to kind of overcome all of these deeper issues. And also, I think the fact that it was like every Sunday night, it just became like a source of dread. It was like, we always meal prepped together on Sundays. So it's like, we already have the Sunday scaries. And then we just spent like a couple hours like grocery shopping and like cooking. And now we just want to relax, but we have to get this talk in. And so I just felt like even though he was the one who suggested it, I would be the one to follow through with it because I was like, no, this is really important for us to do. But there is always resentment towards it. So I feel like we went about it in exactly the wrong way, both in terms of having it be the scheduled thing, and it was just too late. And so I think you doing it proactively is a good way to prevent any long term issues.
0: And I think it's also like, I fully get it, right? Like if you try to do this check in at a point where you are already having challenges, as a couple, the check in is always associated with negative things, right? Mm-hmm. By no means is this system perfect, right? I'm not trying to present that at all. And actually, when my boyfriend and I were talking about this interview today, we were reflecting on like, what has worked for us versus like how things have changed, just like, you know, like a non check in conversation about our relationship. Mm -hmm. And he was telling me that for him, one of the big pivotal moments in our relationship was when he stopped worrying about the check ins as a way for me to end the relationship, but just started viewing them as conversations about what is really working for us too. And like what we could both together or individually do better. So I think it is like, At a point, you want to do this conversation with the help of like a third party because you're trying to resolve problems in the relationship. But even if your intention to do that from the get-go, like for me, this proactive conversation was a way of preventing getting to that point, it's important for me to recognize that my partner didn't always see it that way, right? And it took him a few times of doing this conversation, seeing that it was a safe conversation and nothing bad happened after we had a check-in, right? It's like, if he told me something that I was doing that was difficult or frustrating, that check-in isn't the point for me to react to that. That check-in is mm-hmm. a point for me to absorb. This person is trying to share something difficult for them mm-hmm. to say, and I have to respect that, right? So like, mm-hmm. it's time for it's the time for me to sit with how that makes me feel and how I'm making the other person feel. So- Yes, in an ideal world, you would do it proactively, but one person doing it proactively doesn't always mean that your partner is coming from the same place. How safe the conversation is often determines, like, if it's successful or not. And it's something that may not work for lots of people, right? Most of the, most of my close friends who I talk to say this sounds like the most horrible thing ever and they wouldn't <laughs> talk about it in, in that way. And like, maybe that's who they are, right? Like, for me, it's important to know where I stand. And I want to build things into my relationship that give me confidence in knowing that.
1: Yeah, I think the confidence part is key because now that you're both in a place where you're not like worried that someone's going to bring something up that could be a deal breaker for them, I think it is just, okay, Yeah, it's just a standard thing that we do. And if it were the case where you have to be worried that the check-in is where someone is going to be like, yeah, actually, this isn't working for me, then yeah, that's not the relationship for you long term. I imagine that there was some friction in the beginning when this became (laughs) a custom. But I think now, yeah, it's just like, there's not really a reason for it to be a source of tension. And I also love the fact that you say you don't react to things in that moment. It's like, okay, it's kind of like, when God, I keep tying it back to work. But it's kind of like when you submit your review, you know, it's like you don't submit the review and then have the discussion the next half hour. It's kind of like you submit it, your boss has time to like read over it and like reflect on it and then react to it later and vice versa. So as unsexy as that metaphor was, I feel like it's kind of the same practice where you're like, no, I'm just going to express how I feel. And now we both have time to kind of stick with it and then address it at a later date.
0: I mean, it really is. And I think like, work is about interpersonal relationships in some ways, right? Like your relationship with your manager is an interpersonal relationship. Your relationship with your partner is also an interpersonal relationship. And I credit this fully to like the time at UCLA where I learned how to interact with people because I wasn't busy swiping on apps. No shame Mm -hmm. to the apps. I did that for a good (laughs) chunk of my life. But, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. like learning how to deal with people in ways where you want to build relationships should be what you do at work and what you do in your friendships and what you do in your relationships. And what works as a system in one is often what works across the board. And I think the one thing that both my boyfriend and I will agree on is both of us value efficiency in ways that like maybe other people don't. It's like an efficient way of making sure that we're both in good place Mm -hmm. now. Now it's an efficient way for him. Maybe he didn't see it that way initially.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So I alluded to the fact that, you know, maybe your desire for this is kind of tied to words of affirmation as a love language. So over the years that you've been together, what have you learned about the different ways that you express and want to receive love?
0: So it's funny, I was actually talking to somebody else about this, and I think that my view of what my love language was, was definitely like one or two of them in my past relationships. But I Mm -hmm. mentioned this before, I think this is for sure the healthiest relationship that I've been in. And for me, it's crazy. But now that I'm in this healthy relationship, I think all of them are my love language. Like I want all of them in some dose, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't feel like I have to pick only one as like, this is what I need. Sorry, I'm not trying to give you a cop-out, but I think I've been reflecting on this a lot lately, especially given how much more time I'm spending with my boyfriend than, because 2020, than I would otherwise, right? And Mm -hmm. I think they all matter in different ways and at different times for me. I think the one that we differ the most on is, words of affirmation really matter to him in that he just likes positive reinforcement, right? Mm-hmm. Versus for me, what people do often overrides what people say, and mm-hmm. like, I guess we've spent an hour talking about my past dating history, so it makes total sense that like, what do you say mm-hmm. to me carries yes. less weight than what you actually do. So I yeah. would say that that's the one where I think we clearly differ And that I actually don't care that much if you don't say very many positive things to me, if mm-hmm. I feel tangibly that you're acting in ways that reassure me that this is, like, a safe and secure and loving relationship, right? So to me, mm-hmm. the acts of service or, like, the acts that you do just way overvalue anything you would say to me versus he's not yeah. like that. It's important for him to hear, like, where things are going well and, like, how I feel about him. Like, it's it's important for him to do that.
1: Yeah, And I know we talked about this before we recorded, but I think that that also leads to a really interesting discussion about who's the, I think you said the pragmatic versus the romantic person in the relationship. And I'd love to just hear your explanation of where you guys netted out on that and your evaluations of the other person and which role they fill in the relationship.
0: So it's it's interesting because this was a conversation that my boyfriend and I were just having last night where I asked him, like, who do you think is the romantic versus the pragmatic in the relationship? And he was like, honestly, like, I don't know that either one of us fills those roles. And I paused and was like, really? Because everybody else that knows us as a couple always says, like, oh, your boyfriend is clearly the romantic in this relationship, right? That's what I thought, yeah. You you are not like, nobody has said, oh, you're the romantic in the relationship. (laughs) Literally nobody, (laughs) except my boyfriend. Where he was like, really? That's so interesting. I was like, why is that interesting? Isn't that just obvious? And he's like, well, no, it's not obvious like to me because... You are always doing thoughtful things for me. Not to toot my own horn, but I did say I was a great girlfriend. Uh, Yes, he is. (laughs) He can write a little review saying that I'm a great girlfriend, (laughs) and then he won't have to do a check in this month.
1: Oh, it'll be really fast. Check the podcast (laughs) review. Honestly, I'll take it. Uh, Can't speak for how you feel about that, but. (laughs) I mean, I'm
0: fine. Uh, We've had a lot of check ins in 2020. (laughs) Uh, Sorry, we got sidetracked, but he was telling me, like, I can see why other people feel like I'm the romantic, but you do all of these things that are like small, thoughtful things, which to me are like really romantic gestures. And I was like, what are you smoking? Like, maybe I just haven't seen you in a few days. So like, you're just trying to get me to come over. Like, what are you talking about?
1: (laughs) (laughs) You're like, stop trying to butter me up. (laughs) Exactly.
0: And he was like, no, it's true. It's like, for me, the fact that you will rearrange your life because something really important is happening. Like he adopted a dog and I was supposed to go to India a few days after he adopted a dog. And I decided to postpone my trip for a few weeks because it's hard to have a rescue and like deal with all of that mm-hmm. alone. And also I love dogs, which is a side note. But like really <laughs> I wanted to support him. And like to me that was like obvious, right? That's how I think, because that's how you would treat somebody who you care about. And I would have done the same in some senses if my roommate adopted a dog, because those are the people mm-hmm. that I love and I wanna support their choices especially when they involve dogs. But that's but he was telling me, like, you do things like that, which, like, to me are romantic gestures. But I can understand why if somebody doesn't live in our relationship, it's so immediate for them to think, like, oh, your boyfriend is the romantic, obviously, because you're this, like, super practical, pragmatic person who has very little Mm -hmm. feelings. He's like, but I live in this relationship, so I know that's not true because for you, those gestures, like, for him, those gestures are what romance means. And so it was really interesting that nobody in the world, even the people who know me best think I'm the romantic, but my boyfriend insists that I'm the romantic in the relationship.
1: Hmm. So correct me if I'm wrong, but kind of what I'm hearing is very interesting. Because initially, when we're talking about the fact that you like to have these check ins, I think one would think that for you words of affirmation are really important. But then when it comes down to it, acts of service are more important to you and then additionally with your boyfriend it's kind of a similar thing where like oh i guess like similar but different right where he does value words of affirmation but like he's come to really value your acts of service so it's kind of nice because it seems like over time you've really both grown in a way to where you can both appreciate each other's respective love languages and i don't know i think that's really sweet
0: i mean i think it's sweet and also that we just don't want to pick one love language because we realize in this relationship we can have both right we can have not both but all of them like why pick
1: yeah it's so true it's like i think oftentimes they're posed as oh well what is your one love language but ideally, you shouldn't have to pick just one. And if one really doesn't matter to you, then that's great. But yeah, I think that the most healthy relationships will be a balance of multiple.
0: Yeah, that's, I feel like this is probably the only healthy relationship I've had in my life. And that's what I found to be true. So healthy, romantic yeah. relationship. Yes, yeah, so I was like, hey, <laughs> <laughs> not to throw shade on all the people I love platonically, all our relationships yes. are mostly healthy, mostly.
1: Mostly. Okay, well, I feel like that's a perfect transition because, like you said, our relationship is mostly healthy. And so I think to bring it full circle, we've had this lovely discussion about our personal growth and our relationships. But we did start talking about, you know, our less wise days in college. (laughs) And so I want to wrap it up with a game. And... I've never played this game on the podcast before, so I'm really excited, but it is Never Have I Ever, so we're basically going to play, like, Ten Fingers, but over the podcast, and I don't think either of us are going to get out, because it's not like either of us could really think of that many things (laughs) that we haven't done to ask the other person, but might as well give it a shot.
0: All right, let's do it.
1: All right, do you want to start, or should I?
0: Please, you go ahead.
1: Okay. So never have I ever, and honestly, I wish that I had, but I was um, a science major, and so there weren't any attractive options anyway. Never have I ever hooked up with a TA.
0: Oh, this is cheating. You know I haven't either, because it's not like I had all of these great options. I mean, I don't,
1: uh, yeah. yeah, I mean,
0: sorry, UCLA, but I don't think attractiveness is one of the TA high <laughs> rank criteria.
1: I don't think so. I feel like that's some fun, sexy myth. I've only ever had one friend who said that she had a TA that she thought was hot. And she had a boyfriend, so she didn't even hook up with him. So I don't think I know anyone who's done that.
0: I actually think you're totally right. I don't think I know anyone that has also hooked up with their TA and been like, oh, it's because he was super attractive.
1: No. But do you have friends who've hooked up with a TA and they're like, it was for some other reason? Oh, I'm not going to throw my friends under the bus. That's not cool. Well, don't say who they are. No one knows them. <laughs>
0: I've definitely had friends who have hooked up—not friends. I have had a friend who was hooked up with a TA because she just couldn't resist their intellectual prowess. I don't know—is that a word? Yeah, that's a word.
1: Yeah. Wait, I don't think there's anything bad about that. I think that's actually really cool that your friend was like, "I'm attracted to his brain." I mean, yeah, but maybe she was also just wrong. Who knows?
0: Who am I to say? And who am I to pass judgment? Right? There's no shame oh in my the, gosh. that decision either.
1: No, I mean I have a lot of follow up questions, but to not throw your friend under the bus, we can move on. I mean, we can talk about them after the podcast is no longer recording. Exactly. All right, so hit me with your question. All right, Um, I feel like this game is really
0: cheating, but I'll do it anyway. Never have I ever had somebody have to sneak somebody have to sneak me in. (laughs) Who could have been the alley door of Buruko because I was still underage. (laughs)
1: I wish that my face was visible <laughs> right now on this podcast because I am so annoyed. And yes, it's fair. Everything is fair game. But that is such a targeted question. <laughs> Thought of it especially for you. Oh my god! Legitimately, I know this isn't true because I know everyone did it. But I partially feel responsible for them eventually like closing off that back door and also having people stand up on the balcony to look over because – to give context, I didn't turn 21 until my senior year of college. Not a big deal. Okay, yes, I could have just waited like everybody else. But I was like younger than all my friends. And going to UCLA and being a minority and not having any older siblings, you have very limited options for like whose ID you can have. So for a long time, I didn't have an ID. And of course, you know, like Nendini was a year older than me. And we were such good friends. I was like, I just want to go to the bar with you. So we had this amazing bar, rest in peace, Bruco. It is now a boiling crab, which I'm very sad about, and it had an alleyway door, which... If- <laughs> You could, If you couldn't get in through the front, you would go to the alley and you'd wait by the door. Your friend who was 21 or had an idea would go in and they would just like open the door for you and you'd just go in. And eventually it got to a point where I think enough people were doing it that I tried to do it once. And there was someone literally looking over the balcony and like shooed me away like a stray cat. They're like, get out of here. <laughs> I, <was>
0: I mean, <laughs> I at least have to take partial responsibility for this because my year bruco was also like the year that I was best friends with the bartender. So it's also not just like, obviously we wanted to go to the bar together, but also we drank for free at that bar for way longer than we should have. And it didn't seem fair that you were going to miss out on that. Like that was our thing. So I feel like I at least have to take some responsibility for painting Bruco as this like amazing desirable option and also opening the back door, but that's separate. (laughs)
1: I mean, honestly, I'm not ashamed to say some of the best nights of my college career at Bruco. I almost said best (laughs) nights of my life. and I was like, whoa, calm
0: down. I mean, some of the best (laughs) nights of my life were at that bar.
1: That's true. It was really fun. And I'm sure everyone feels this way about their respective college bars. But like, there's just something about Bruco. And it's not even like, oh, the fact that it was a college bar. It was like, I never felt that way about Maloney's.
0: I mean, I definitely know that I felt that way about Bruco for sure, because of the bartender, Kua, who I adore to this day. And also, like, when Bruco announced that they were shutting down, a.k.a. I heard that they were going to be turned into a boiling Mm -hmm. crab, I had graduated, I didn't even live near Mm -hmm. Westwood, and it was, like, a Tuesday in a work week that me and... My group of roommates from college made it a point to go back to Bruco and celebrate with Kuo. Like Kuo is one of the highlights. What was it like? Oh my god, it was sad. It was sad because we could finally afford to pay for the drinks at Bruco, but there wasn't going to (laughs) be any more Bruco. But, I mean, um, Kua was one of the highlights of my time at UCLA, and anybody that has known me at UCLA will attest to that.
1: He was truly wonderful, and as I was writing these out, I was like, I wonder what he's doing right now.
0: I think about Kua pretty frequently. He
1: was pretty he cute, was cute, right? Or was I just, like, always drunk? He was okay, cute. yeah, that's what I thought. He was
0: definitely cute.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I remember the first time I met him, I was, like, trying to flirt with him, and then I was like, oh, I don't have to flirt with him for free drinks. Like, I can just have to know, Nantini. <laughs>
0: Ah, those were the days I used to try to flirt with bartenders in New York Then I realized New York bartenders are a whole other breed That doesn't really get you mm. that far Now I just want to be friends with all of them Because yeah. they're all so cool
1: Way cooler than I will ever be I imagine to be a bartender in New York You have to be exceedingly cool Okay, my next question Never have I ever rushed a sorority
0: uh this is such cheating. I don't like this.
1: <laughs> I guess it's like, okay, when you're playing with one other person. <laughs> Who
0: also knows everything to be fair, about your life. I feel like this is cheating.
1: To be fair, no, because we both had one year of college where the other person like was not directly there. And the rest of the ones that I have, I'm not actually sure if you've done some of these, maybe freshman year. Maybe. I mean, most of freshman
0: year, I was just me getting over my heartbreak. So it was like, not that fun. You didn't miss much. Uh, okay, well, that I helps me film a rushed a sorority. I, I mean, now I think about it. And like, this is one of those things that we were talking about, like what I can never imagine my current self doing. But I rushed spring of my freshman year, sophomore year. I can't remember. We, we knew each other, so it must have been my sophomore year, right? Yeah. But it wasn't yeah. fall rush. And again, keep in mind that, like, for me, this whole concept of, like, a sorority and Greek life was also super alien. Like, you just don't have that in colleges in India. Like, there's no Greek life. So mm-hmm. I did it, and I did it with one of my really good friends. Actually, two of my really good friends. Both of them ended up pledging a sorority, and I... The painful, shy introvert that I came into UCLA as found the experience so alienating and overwhelming. And I think it's one of those, it's one of those places where I really internalized, like if I wanted to grow into living in the US, I had to think about mm-hmm. how to get better at being around random strangers. So I think it was like a mm-hmm. defining Personal growth experience for me, but I found the process like very alien and weird and I guess the cult like aspect of the sororities didn't appeal to me, but the cult like aspect of Unicamp Mm. appealed to me. (laughs) Not (laughs) sure why that Uh is.
1: That's so funny. I mean I can see why, because I think one is There's, like, a very distinct barrier to entry, if that's even the best way to describe it. But I feel like the process of sorority rush, like, really puts to the forefront, like, how culty it is and, like, how clicky it's going to be. Versus I feel like, you know, with Unicamp, I don't ever think they really address that. So you kind of realize after you're a part of it, but it's not like it's, like, in your face of, like, oh, this is going to be, like, a very clicky group that people... Base their whole identity, and around. I mean,
0: Unicamp definitely leads with like the kind of like do good element of it, obviously, right? And like yeah. again, no shade to Unicamp. I found one of my best friends, aka you, through Unicamp, and like it was a really good experience. And you are ultimately doing something that's rooted in doing something good, right? But mm-hmm. I just think that sororities, while most of them do have like a do good element to them, that's not what they're really structured around. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I found it very strange to talk to all these groups of girls in like less than one minute and try to explain my life. And most of them found it very strange that I had moved all the way across the world to go to school at UCLA because UCLA, a lot of people go there from California. So I just think that they had such a hard time to a large extent understanding somebody would make that decision so
1: i would have thought that would have made you like really cool and like a hot commodity i
0: don't think like large groups of girls who have been raised in very similar fashion in their early 20s really think of people that are that different from them as a cool thing i think they just think of people Mm -hmm. like that as outsiders i think hopefully people learn better as they get older but there's definitely like a group think mentality at that stage in your life generally.
1: That's true. Um, and just one more thing about the sorority element. I think about this sometimes because I definitely would have rushed had I had different roommates Mm -hmm. my freshman year. Because I remember I thought about it when I was going into college and I was like, should I? Like, it's something that people do. It seems like pivotal to the college experience. And I remember thinking like, okay, I'll just wait a year. And if I don't make friends, and I feel like I have no social life, then yeah, I'll rush because it's like a guaranteed social life. And I will say I lucked out so much with the two roommates I got freshman year, we bonded so much. And I mean, one of them I've gone on multiple international trips with and like, we're still close. I'm like doing a zoom call with her tomorrow. And one of them in particular knew so many people before we even started college. That it was like, oh, I suddenly have all these parties to go to. And I was like, I don't need a sorority to party. In hindsight, maybe I would have died because I feel like I already drank enough and I didn't need Greek life to accelerate that anymore.
0: I mean, for sure, I wouldn't have rushed if my two other friends weren't rushing. And I found this whole system and the whole process so intriguing and so far out of my comfort zone both like it was like a almost like a curiosity right but if two of my really good friends weren't doing the process there's no way I would have got through that so like I guess for me it was like the flip side of Mm -hmm. it it's so funny right the people that you get paired with your freshman year which is totally random for me too to find so much almost all of my college experience I think you're one of my few Mm -hmm. friends from UCLA who aren't kind of in some way shape or form affiliated with like who my roommates were freshman year which is kind of crazy if you Mm. think about it
1: yeah I kind of feel the same it's like maybe I'm forgetting some people but I do feel like most of the people I've remained friends with they stemmed from being friends with those two girls freshman year and it did expand into like a broader network so it's not like they individually introduced me to everyone but it's like Either a function of being paired with them as roommates, or you, or people who I happened to know before I went to college, which is literally like two people who I'm still friends with.
0: Yeah, it's so it's <laughs> so true that like such a random thing can define so much of your entire college
1: experience. Yeah. So thanks UCLA for giving me two great roommates because it could have been and really me. Disaster. Hello. And you, and you, yes. Wow. 100%. We've already established that. I've already showered you with enough compliments today. Maybe words of affirmation is my... Okay, life. it's your turn. Who knew?
0: I'm learning things yeah, about myself seriously. on this podcast. Uh, okay, I have to confess I don't have any other questions.
1: What? That's it? Okay, do I have to ask the rest of them? Um. Okay, so... Now that I have this revelation, I guess I will be asking the remainder of the questions. But it's fine because I feel like each question has led to like a 10-minute discussion. So it's probably for the best (laughs) that we're like cutting them in half. Okay, so never have I ever had someone sleep in my dorm bed. So like the two years I lived in the dorms, I've never actually had someone spend the night in my dorm room. Which is kind of surprising, actually, as I was thinking about it. I mean, I don't think
0: that I have either because the first year I had two roommates and that would be so strange again like the person (laughs) I am now still thinks it's weird but like having just moved my whole life like I would have thought it's so rude to have somebody sleep in my dorm bed when I had two roommates because like it's just not a thing yeah I feel like I would ever consider doing at that point in my life
1: so never but like you know. Like, I had roommates who, the first quarter, they left, like, mm. every weekend. So, technically, I really could have just, like, gone nuts, but I didn't.
0: Yeah, and I guess I was still working through my issues of, like, I don't really want to share this tiny bed with somebody else, because then they're just going to be stuck here.
1: I mean, yeah, it's Definitely not ideal. Not.
0: Also, I had the top bunk, which is much less than ideal, because, mm. like, where's this person going to hide? Same. Like, <laughs> 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 I did. However, I did have a roommate who was, do you know the story? I can't remember if you know the story, but I did have a roommate Mm. who was secretly dating someone, didn't tell me, and hid her (coughs) boyfriend, not boyfriend, sorry, they were just hooking up at that point. She made him hide in the closet When I came back to the room, like, I left the room, and I was gone for a while. Why? I don't even know, because we were friends. Like, maybe they hadn't figured out where things stood. I don't know. So, basically, this person that she hadn't publicly acknowledged was anything more than a really good friend. Like, maybe it was a big deal when we are 19. I don't know. So, they were hooking up. I came back to the room unexpectedly. She literally made (laughs) him hide in the closet. And can I tell you, she made him hide in the closet, not even from me, because I had already seen him, but I had some friends who lived on the same floor, and she really didn't want them to find out, and they were right behind me. And so she was like, please hold on one second. So then I had to be, like, involved in hiding this man in, like, the small dorm closet while our other friends (sighs) came in to, like, grab something from the room. Can you imagine, like, telling somebody, hi, can you go in this, like, one of your really good friends
1: yeah okay that is not a story that i knew i can't even judge her because i could see myself being like weirdly self-conscious in some way of being like i don't want people to know we're hooking up blah blah, blah. but it is like wild like imagine if the tables were turned like imagine if a guy told a girl hey i need you to hide in the closet because i don't want anyone to know that we're hooking up like imagine how offended you would be
0: I mean, I think anybody should be offended, honestly. Yeah, But I think at that point, they were both really committed to nobody finding out, so.
1: Okay, okay. As long as they were on the same page, but that is.
0: I mean, I don't know. He was in his boxers. I wasn't about to have this, like, hi, are you offended that you have to hide in the closet because my friends have to come in and get something. Conversation. (laughs) How
1: do you feel right now?
0: (laughs) Do you feel safe? Like, no, of course
1: not. Oh, my God. In his boxers, yikes. Awkward. Yeah. Okay, next one. Never have I ever been hung over for a final.
0: Not for a final, but definitely for many more work days than I should have been in my first job out of college, because you were still in college, <laughs> <and apparently, laughs> That meant wow. I also had a
1: free pass. Um, I don't <laughs> appreciate the tone <laughs> and the implication there. <laughs> Are you that, that you... <laughs> No, but I don't (laughs) appreciate the way that you said the word you. (laughs) Ah. (laughs) So to piggyback off of that, there are two times that I remember being so hungover at work that I was like, oh my God, am I going to make it? And one of them was long after graduation, but it was the day after Kobe's last game. So I stand behind that decision to get drunk that night. The other was when we went out together and it was like an internship. So it wasn't like a full job, but... Do you remember when we went to that BET party in Hollywood?
0: Do I remember this? Yes, I do remember this.
1: And it was like, was it even affiliated with BET? I don't think so. It was so ratchet and it was on a (laughs) Sunday night and then I had to go to the internship on Monday and I was like, oh my God, this is a nightmare.
0: I feel like this is also, oh my God, I like don't even know if I want to tell people this but I used to intern at like a small sustainable clothing brand in Hollywood or West Hollywood while I was at UCLA so I used to take the bus there and I have been hungover on that bus ride way too many times because I think one of the days that I interned was like a Wednesday and a Friday and like no, nobody no. should get on a bus on a Friday when they go to UCLA like that's just nope. not <laughs> not a thing. Nope. So, I feel like your story reminded me of all the many times I have regretted my Thursday decisions because I thought I was going to die. And it wasn't the most riveting internship, but mm-hmm. I'm probably grateful for that because it would have been yeah. bad if it required a lot of me.
1: Yeah, oof, rough times. Any bus ride is not comfortable, so when you're hungover, yikes.
0: It's not my finest employee moments.
1: Oh, okay. Next one, never have I ever been written up in the dorms.
0: I did not get written up. Now I'm remembering this story. Do you remember our other common UCLA
1: Yes, I do.
0: So the first year, a lot of the partying that I did was literally just drinking really shitty mixed drinks in his dorm room. So I definitely mm-hmm. didn't get written up <laughs> in my dorm room, but we often created situations where... <laughs> That might happen in his dorm room. Oh my gosh. The only thing that saved us, I think, was that he was very good friends with his RA. So Mm -hmm. we made it out most of the time, but I think we did succeed in getting him written up once. But he never held it against us. Okay. I love how the story is making it sound like you never did anything bad in undergrad.
1: I know. I mean, if you had other questions for me,
0: (laughs) then we could get some more stories. Fine, fine. I deserve that. (laughs) I deserve that. It's it's really hard to think of never have I ever questions because most things are things I also have done in undergrad which yeah. is one of the reasons that we are such good friends is because it's true our thresholds are so similar so there's very little things that I can confidently claim to not having done
1: So, yeah, a peek behind the curtain, um, Nandini texted me and she was like, well, I can't ask this question because it's something I've done, but here's a good question to ask. And I had to be like, well, I can't ask it either because I've also done that.
0: (laughs) Which is literally 90% of all of the things that I could come up with, minus the one question I succeeded in asking.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's tough. It's tough. I feel like even when I play Never Have I Ever in real life, for some reason... It's always like, oh, I have so many questions that I can think about on the fly, but when it comes time to actually play the game, I'm like, I've done everything, which isn't true. I my brain just like goes blank.
0: I mean, isn't that the case with everything? Yeah. <laughs> it's exactly. Like when it counts, my brain is like, no,
1: thank you. Yeah, it's like, oh, I'm actually out of office.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, like so I Monday
0: only... nine a.m. <laughs>
1: yeah. <Out> of office. <laughs> yeah. So final question, and I actually don't know if you've ever done this before. Never have I ever hooked up in a classroom.
0: Oh, now this makes me seem boring because I have not.
1: I mean, I haven't either. I figured it would be a stretch.
0: Also, UCLA is a very large school, so I feel like even if it's like 9 p.m. at night, there's always some class going on, so I feel like it would be so, really hard. <laughs> 9 p.m.
1: Yeah, there's always some like late film class, and you never know who you're going to yeah. run into. So I guess that's part risky. of the fun
0: of it, but you know. Yeah. I wasn't that cool in undergrad.
1: So I think that we've redeemed ourselves a little bit because it sounded maybe like we were a little crazy in the beginning, but now it's clear. We didn't do everything. We had some boundaries. I just have to say thank you so much. And like I mentioned, this was long overdue, but so worth the wait. And I had such a great time recording with you. This was so fun. I'm glad we did this. Is there anything that you would like to plug so people can follow you or maybe your influencer Instagram account? my influencer instagram account which is literally just <laughs> me
0: and my best friend with our 14 followers i am not going to plug anything shockingly other than the fact that i will make sure to let my boyfriend know to leave a glowing <gasps> review <laughs> yes and
1: give him a free pass on his next quarterly
0: of course this was so fun i'm glad we did this me too i love you I love you too
1: Let's be exclusive. Subscribe to Interstates and Heartbreak wherever you listen to podcasts for more firsthand stories about the unglamorous side of dating in Los Angeles. And while you're at it, you can write me a love letter with a rating and review on Apple. See you next Sunday.